श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए भक्ति विनोद परिवार की जाए और भक्तवृंद की जाए और प्रेमानंद So, we've been discussing the unfolding of Krishna consciousness in the form of Krishna Leela, not, I want to say, in spite of the opposition and uh, attempts to oppress it on the part of Kongs and his henchmen, but, uh, for that matter, enhanced by it, facilitated by, by it negatively, negative impetus is um, a good part of our pursuits of Krishna consciousness. When we come to love Krishna, then there will only be positive impetus. But the fact is, we don't have love of Krishna now. So negative impetus will take a significant, uh, play a significant role in inspiring us. The fact that we have to die, the thought of that, uh, some fear even. Fear is the lowest motivation from which, out of which to, to serve God. But um, we should be practical and realize that our evolution in the direction of God's consciousness is just in the beginning stages. The inhabitants of Vrindavan, they are so in love with Krishna, we cannot imagine that and how much Krishna is in love with them, that he's forgotten, that he's God, even, in madness of love. So what is the power of their love that, that can do that to the Absolute? Inconceivable. Their Krishna consciousness is simply motivated by love. We call it ragatmika. To follow in the wake of that, that is called raganuga. Anuga means to follow, to follow the, that kind of natural love, that, that, that kind of devotion motivated by love. But in reality, although we aspire for that, we should, much of our motivation is coming in indirectly from how bad things may be. and We may consider ourselves lucky sometimes that we haven't got as much money as, as other people. And, and uh, material facilities and so forth. Uh, having them is not always a, an absolute blessing. There are many negative things, at any rate, in our life that, that uh, serve to motivate us indirectly in the direction of spiritual life, even, as I say, some fear, fear that if I don't do that, it won't be good for me, and so forth. So we've been talking, at any rate, about negative impetus, and I want to say that Krishna Leela, in the course of our discussion, is unfolding, not in spite of Kamsa and his henchmen, but uh, it's enhanced by that. It's actually in a negative way, facilitating. Nothing can get in the way of Krishna consciousness, and nothing can get in the way of people taking advantage of Krishna consciousness in connection with someone who has it. So, we heard about Kamsa, and we heard that Kamsa had many people under his influence. And the first of them was the lady Putana, the goddess of, or the demoness of, of miscarriages. And how she came personifying hypocrisy and uh, pseudo-devotion, dressed in disguise as a devotee. And how Krishna killed her with his lips, 
though his lips have infinite power. <laughs> and uh, she got to experience them in such a way that it brought about her demise. We discussed this at some length in the implications of Putana. And after that incident in the Leela, then the cowherd village settled down. But nonetheless, Nanda Maharaj was a bit cautious. He had been cautioned by Vasudeva, as we explained, and then he practically saw that there was good reason for the caution with Putana coming in his absence and somehow miraculously the child being being spared. Although Krishna sucked out her life air, it's not that everyone could understand that's what happened. Krishna was suckling from her breast, then suddenly she took on this enormous size and crashed to the ground and died and Krishna was found on her chest. So everybody didn't know that Krishna actually killed her. And at that time there was there were no uh, witnesses, even if there were young boys around, would be friends of Krishna. It was too young and he was too young at that time. He was under three months, somewhere between two and three months old. They would have been the same age and they couldn't have said in any definitive way, as much as children can speak definitively about anything, that this is what happened. But after that incident, although things calmed down, another incident followed. Kamsa was aware of what had happened. And so he commissioned another under his influence to go and try to bring about the death of the son of Nanda because at this time he was becoming quite suspicious that this one son was the son who was destined to kill him. After all, Putana was quite powerful. And Kamsa was certain that Putana died from the lips of Krishna. Quite a feat. So he selected uh, one other fellow, Shakata Sura, to go there. He was fond of traveling uh, invisibly. Actually, in his previous life, he had offended a sage. It's been described, and he was cursed not to have a body. So, invisibly, he appeared in Vrindavan, hovering over the scene. He was a flying type of... Uh, ghostly demon, and uh, related in that way to, to Putana. He had observed her activities and, and uh, knew that Krishna was a formidable enemy. While he was hovering in the sky, Krishna was just turning, Bhagavatam says, just turning three months old. And as Krishna turned three months old, the stellar configuration, the star of his birth, Rohini, was again in in place, ruling. And um, so it was an auspicious occasion. And not only that, but the auspiciousness of the occasion, which warranted the festival anyway, uh, was enhanced by the fact that at that time, Krishna, who was just an infant, only, practically only just three months old, lying on his back, it was noticed by one of the nurses that he rolled over onto his side onto his elbow, as if starting to try to get up and crawl. So in the Vedic society, this was another cause for a festival. <laughs> as people in modern society are charmed by any little thing that their children do, or as we at our Darya are charmed by any little thing that the calves do as they 
as they grow old, we want to mark that occasion when they start to put their head in the, into the side of the hill and scratch their budding horns and, and so forth. Uh, so out of love and affection, these types of symptoms of, of transformation, and growth and, and, and change, they're marked by those who, with love for such uh, persons or cows, objects, and so, similarly, in Vedic culture, though, this was a time for a festival. Krishna had turned onto his side, a point to mark in the history of the child's development. So, so many relatives and friends in the whole of Braj practically was invited. Mother Yashoda sent out so many ladies to call and invite others, who veritably told them, come, and such and such is taking place, Shoda and Nandamaraj are inviting you to the festivities, and and you don't have them anything to worry about, you know, that, that if you leave your home, something can be stolen. Everyone knows this. There's only one thief in all of Vrindavan, and that is the boy himself, who's stolen the hearts of everyone. So it wasn't hard for them to get a big crowd, and so quite a festival was taking place at the house of Nanda and Dishodamai. And on account of being the hostess, Mother Yashoda was very much found herself busy greeting people and asking about their well-being and so forth to the extent that she had to put child Krishna down. So she put him in a little cradle and placed him under a large um, cart in which many different types of gold and silver utensils were, were kept. A big cart, like a big covered wagon, something like that, but very fancy also. And... Um, so she, in the shade, she placed him under the cart in a cradle, and then the activities went on. But they were very consuming, these activities. Social affairs can be such, <laughs> and uh, especially for the hosts. So time went by like, like, like that, and that the four hours had passed, and Krishna, meanwhile, was hungry. And so he began to cry, but... Due to the commotion, his crying was not heard. And meanwhile, this Shakatasur who was hovering over the whole scene saw, saw, look at this now, let's see, the child's been placed underneath this cart, everyone's over here, I am invisible, I have the capacity, it means to assume the, the form of, of whatever inanimate object I like, so he assumed the form of the cart itself. So Shakatasur means uh, like, like that. He became the cart. It was a very heavy cart hanging over Krishna and his idea was to make a push and weight it down and crush the child. As horrifying as it sounds. In the midst of a social event on the occasion of the child's important developmental stage of turning on his side. Hideous. But Krishna was, of course, one side of him was aware of the whole thing, and the other side of him was absorbed in just being the infant that he is, that he was, the son of Yashoda, Yashodanandan. So he raised one foot, and even only in raising one foot, he, he did it with one part of himself in, with the mind to kick the cart, and turn it over and kill this demon. And the other side, to make a commotion and voice his protest that he was not getting fed sufficiently and not being given enough 
uh, attention, even though the whole festival was centered around him. And the fact that he had simply rolled on his side, after all, he is the center of everything, rightfully so. All attention should be given to him at every moment. So, suddenly this huge cart was launched into the sky, almost as if Putana had wings like Putana, although it was wingless and inanimate, and fell on the ground, crashing down, making a huge sound like a clap of thunder in the clouds. And everyone was astonished to hear the sound, and then to look and see that the cart was broken, and of course, that their child Krishna was simply crying as a baby underneath the cart. How it could have happened, no one could understand. If the child was safe and another calamity had taken place in the village, Manamaraj made note, again, another calamity. Hmm. Some doubt started to come about the nature of the, the place they were living and thoughts, perhaps we should move on. Meanwhile, by this age, yeah, there was another couple of young boys, a little older than Krishna, who were there, and they were witness to the event. And so, when they were asked, well, what, what happened? The boy said, well, Krishna lifted his foot and kicked the cart, and the cart went flying in the air and fell down, crashing. And, and of course, just like it's hard for us to believe, it was hard for Nanda and Yashoda to believe such a thing. How could a child of that age possibly... So the fact that you might have some doubts, that, that doesn't make you unfit for Braj Leela. Nanda Maharaj also had some doubts. How could that happen? How is that possible? <laughs> I don't believe it. Of course, then I thought, God can do anything, so maybe Narayan has done something through him. And that's possible. Hmm? <laughs> that I can believe. So they didn't trust the account of the, uh, of the children. They dismissed it to some extent and felt that they had been blessed by their previous acts of piety. That once again, the beloved Krishna was in a dangerous situation, but saved by providence, by the blessings of God, as a, as a result, the fruit of their own piety from the past. Such was their destiny. Bhaktivinoda Thakur has written, I believe, maybe in his Sri Chaitanya Shikrastakam, about this very, very briefly, as he has a number of these pastimes, wherein he recommends that they be discussed, meditated upon, contemplated, uh, as, as a way of entry into Krishna Leela. It means positive contemplation on Krishna Leela in such a way that negative things are removed at the same time. And this is our approach. We don't separately try to remove the negative things from our heart because there's no other more powerful way to accomplish that than by inviting Krishna into our lives. In fact, there's no possibility of really being freed from all type of material contamination and thereby being suitable for liberation without some blessings of Krishna, without Krishna coming into our life. Even the, what I mean to say about it, even the jnana mark depends on some bhakti in order for it to be fruitful. So, in the course of discussing this Leela, he has said, Thakur, that this Shakatasur, this demon, can be thought of in this way, to be representative of the burden. In fact, the cart was very heavy, and it was carrying many heavy things also, metal things, utensils, very heavy. 
and it was hanging over Krishna. And the demon took the form of the cart, and so the cart then became a very heavy burden that had the potential to crush the uh, budding manifestation of Krishna consciousness, of Krishna. The youthful childhood Krishna. So this childhood Krishna is like the youth of our own spiritual progress. And it's burdened by what? It's burdened by certain prejudices and biases, both from the past and in the present, that don't have much, if anything, to do with what Krishna consciousness is really about. It means that in any time, people in general have ideas about things and how they work and how they should be and how they shouldn't be and so forth. And those determinations change over time. All these notions about life, how nature works even, social um, standards and so forth, these are largely all born in the mind. People thought at one time that all the planets in the solar system revolved around the Earth, wasn't it? And then there was the uh, Copernicus and his revolutionary thought, insight, that everything's revolving around the sun. So at that time, you have to understand, all the laws of nature, as they were thought to be, were suddenly, like, disrupted. If he's right, then so many other things that we've concluded are, are wrong, and those were laws, they were hard and fast. And there was some resistance to Copernicus's insight. We couldn't imagine now that there would be another insight that would tell us that actually we're not revolving around the, the sun, as he thought. We've got so many facts to, to substantiate this and, and so forth. But it's possible. Some other insight could come and change the whole thing. All the laws, the laws, I'm saying in quotations, suddenly up in the air. This happened, has happened to people over generations. So as much as there's a burden of the prejudice of the past, there's also a burden of the prejudice of, of the present. And we should not let Krishna consciousness be, our Krishna consciousness be burdened by either of them to the extent that the essence of what Krishna consciousness is, our Krishna Anushila and the culture of love of Krishna, is um, obscured. So we're dealing with this as a modern group of people all the time. And it's a very important issue. And we're proud to be, as I was mentioning last night, members of the Paribhara of Bhaktivinoda Thakur who had the insight to to think about the tradition in this way and thus extend its, its life and vitality into modern times. But it's important to note that as much as he was prepared to separate Krishna consciousness from cultural baggage from the past, in the ways people thought about things, and to interface it with the way in which people were at present thinking about things, he also underscored the fact that People's opinions may change about things again. <laughs> so we should be prepared for that as well. We'll go with how people are thinking now, and it makes sense to us, and, and we'll, we'll 
interface our spiritual practice, the essence of that, with that. But time will come in the future. To what extent things will change? I mean, things that changed a lot. And we always think now they've changed. This, this is going to stay the way it is. This is this is right. This is true. And and uh, but over history, I think we we find that uh, that uh, that doesn't prove to be the case. There's so much to find out about life. Only when we've arrived at love of Krishna can we say we've got the conclusive knowledge. And who arrives there feels that, hmm, like Brahma, when he said he had the darshan of Krishna, he said, and he had four heads, so he could think quite a bit about things. He said, my conclusion is that if I could roll up the whole, all the stars in the sky, like my bedroll, like my sleeping bag, and I just rolled them all up, or count every atom in existence, I would still know nothing about Krishna. Sridhar to say, unknown and unknowable. So, to be settled with that, to, to, to be comfortable with that, this is real, real knowing. So we should be, um, with good guidance, we should be careful about this kind of thing. And perhaps more so about the past than about, uh, than about present prejudices and, and whatnot. It's a fact that Krishna consciousness will come to us through a particular cultural filter and adapt to that. And we have to be saragrahi rather than barabahi. Barabahi means the shakatasura. Barabahi means to carry a heavy load. So to carry the burden of cultural uh, baggage on our spiritual journey as if the cultural baggage, as if uh, externals, rules and regulations that pertain to certain times and circumstances and so forth that had a cultural bias built into them and so forth that they will be applicable not only applicable today but that they themselves are essential Krishna elements of our of our spiritual culture so we're warned against this be careful about this not only that, we, that if we do, if we are not that we will be irrelevant in the eyes of others but because our own spiritual practice will be hampered by that. It's mentioned in by Rupa Goswami that adherence to regulations without understanding the meaning of them, that this is, um, is detrimental to bhakti. This will be a, is a potential destroyer of bhakti. And all the other side is not, not, to, not to follow the, the regulations that are important. To follow the regulations without knowing the meaning of them. Shudamash used to like to say that spiritual progress requires acceptance and elimination. So at a certain point, things will be accepted that are important for my progress. At another stage, the very same thing will be need to be eliminated. So the only way that we can be successful in this process of acceptance and elimination is if we can become somehow, through good guidance, centered upon the essence of what uh, our spiritual culture is. And so we're cautioned to remember this particular Leela, Shakatasur, how easily Krishna himself is saying this. This is not something we're making up. The Leela himself, in the Leela itself, Krishna is making this point to us. It sounds revolutionary to some devotees who are trapped in the very, burdened by the cart, Shakata. Uh, they're, they're troubled by this particular Asura, this kind of uh, anartha, unwanted conception making them somewhat fanatical and thinking that 
we were discussing, I was discussing with Brigham this morning that if you, if you don't brush your teeth with a twig rather than a, instead of a toothbrush, you're, you're not doing it the spiritual way. There's, a, there's an ancient verse, glorifying the trees from which I get my twig to brush my teeth in the morning and, and without brushing your teeth, and how can you properly worship Krishna? <laughs> and so forth. So, I know for a fact that some of my godbrothers thought that we would be doing good to get some twigs rather than these toothbrushes and toothpaste. But I think that there's evidence that dental floss and toothbrushes are a little bit better, do a better job. And so, uh, this is, this is, it sounds like a simple thing, but this is the inside of Bhakti Siddhanta. This is the insight of bhakti to differentiate them from so many other sects of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and have made Gaudiya Vaishnavism vital and alive today and to see the same misconceptions, the same demon, Shakatasur, troubling the devotees in the line of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur is, is, is troublesome. It really gives impetus to speak up and say something and dress some lady in saffron. A loud statement. Of course, if she's qualified. And put her in, if she's a monk, then dress her like a monk. Monk is, is neuter gender anyway. Monastic, we say. So to make a statement, this is the line of Bhakti Siddhanta. How shocking he was to the people, the things that he did. One time he appeared in Vrindavan with two of his uh, brahmacharis dressed in three-piece suits and a little white collar like a priest, Nehru hats, and T-lock. <laughs> and he was wearing patent leather shoes. It was said that, of course, sannyasis shouldn't wear shoes. They shouldn't ride on a conveyance. They shouldn't mean to take a train, ride on a rickshaw. They should walk everywhere. And he was driving in an amb- ambassador, which is, you know, which was the only um, automobile company in, in India. And to have an ambassador was a, like having a Mercedes or something like that. He was driving in an ambassador. And this, these were very, it was very shocking statements to the Gaudiya community. But he was not afraid uh, to make them. And he was misunderstood by some and offended by some uh, in their ignorance. But so many people have benefit from, benefited from this and Gaudiya Vaishnavism has life. So we should have the courage to follow in the line of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and make decisions that will make for the growth of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the future of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, even when it may be at the cost of apparently being, in the mind of the majority, even members of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. They have, many have billed him as he's actually a heterodox, not an orthodox Gaudiya Vaishnavism. He's a, he's a Martin Luther. Not so bad, actually. Martin had some very good ideas, given the condition of the church at the time. You maybe know something about him. But, uh, he was quite uh, concerned at the time uh, with uh, essence. He gravitated towards the scripture and um, purity and so forth was his, largely his concern. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsitaka in a positive way was a, was, a, was a Puritan, even though adopting things that by external standards and social concerns and uh, whatnot made him impure. Incredible. 
put on the patent leather shoes would have made him impure. To drive in the car would have made him impure. But it was, in, that, in fact, the epitome of, of, of purity. And a crushing blow to that cart demon, Shakatasur, in a very powerful way, just like Krishna with one foot just threw that cart far away and crashed it down. So he stood up like this and dealt a death blow to, to this uh, anartha, this unwanted thing, this heavy burden. Two terms we should learn. Bara vohi and? You've learned. Saragrahi. Sara means essence. So Bara means to, to bear, carry a heavy, heavy load. And Saragrahi means to identify with the essence, to be an essential Vaishnava. There are so many externals by which the Vaishnava will, will be marked and, and modes of conduct and so forth, but they may vary according to time and circumstance. To insist that, um, I knew a fellow who, who insisted that the, that the cloth of the renunciate had to be a certain color, the color of a cow's tongue, and you had to get it from this particular kind of dye and so forth. And I kind of like the idea of it having an affinity for cows as I do, but then I went to another moth and he had a whole different idea. He screwed it, it has to be this color, otherwise it doesn't work, and so these kind of things. At the same time, we have to be careful, as they say in English, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which tendency is there, because if we're going to think about these things, that means what? Thinking about these things means we have to use our intelligence in Krishna consciousness, and sometimes Krishna consciousness is presented in such a way as to tell us, don't, don't use your intelligence because your intelligence is bad. By your intelligence only, you cannot go there. You can only go by faith, only by hearing from authorities. Don't be a mental speculator. Mental speculation is bad. And there's, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. What's born in the mind, that will not be uh, Krishna consciousness. That will die in the mind. But nonetheless, there's a way of using your intelligence in Krishna's service. It's not to be done away with. as a way of abusing it and the way of using it. But when we start to use our intelligence, we have to be careful that, it, that actually it's, it's being used in Krishna's service rather than exercised in such a way as to take us outside of the essence of Krishna consciousness. So it's a very fine line. And in the unfolding of the Krishna Leela, it, it really uh, conveniently brings us to the next event in Krishna's life that is recorded in Srimad Bhagavatam. Not exactly the next event, but the events in Bhagavatam are not always recorded in chronological order. For example, it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam that at three months, this festival, based on the star Rohini being predominant at three months after Krishna's birth, when he turned on his side, as we're discussing, this happened after three months. And then the story of Trinavarta is mentioned, the whirlwind demon. It took place when he was one year old, just after his first birthday. But we also know that Vasudev in Mathura was concerned about his son, whom he thought to be his son, who was now under the care secretly of Nanda Maharaj, unbeknownst even to Nanda Maharaj. Of course, it was unknown to Vasudev that Actually, Nanda Krishna was the son of Nanda Maharaj, and that his son was only an expansion of Krishna. Complicated theological affair, <laughs> no doubt, but interesting nonetheless, and consuming. 
to understand all these details. But at any rate, he was concerned about his son, and so he wanted to see that, although he could not oversee all the various rituals that would ensure a good life for the boy, that somehow that, that took place, and in such a way that it would uh, not become known, his wonder and, and, and glory might not become known to Kamsa. Somehow it would be kept concealed as much as possible. So, the point is that he wanted his son to have the birth, uh, the name-giving ceremony. He actually suggested to uh, Nanda Maharaj that after 100 days or so would be a good time. He didn't want to give the definite date because he thought the word might get out somehow or other and Kamsa might know exactly where to go at what time or something like that. So with some caution. And then he sent Gargamuni, Gargacharya, to Vrindavan to oversee the name-giving ceremony. The, the, the time, that means when Krishna, that sound within the Leela, became attached to Krishna, that person. The name and the names, they're the same, non-different. But within the history of the eternal history of the Leela, at this time the two met, Krishna and his name. <laughs> Incredible. And the name, meeting with the named, then mission was born. The possibility of extending the glories of the named through the name became possible. So this took place, obviously, in between the killing of Trinavarta, which took place after one year, and the killing of Shakatasur, which took place after three months, because a hundred days extends beyond the three months. So, Bhagavatam is not always in chronological order. And the astute and very devoted, we should note this point, Sanatana Goswami has pointed these things out. The idea is what? How did he study Srimad Bhagavatam? I know, as I said earlier, and some of you have expressed it to me, oh, it seems a bit of a burden to study all those details and so forth. But your intelligence will be absorbed in figuring out the details of something, taking the trouble if you're interested enough in it. So, the idea is we have to create an environment where everyone is interested enough to take the trouble to find out all these details. They are meant to, meant to consume us, to consume our minds. And if you get involved in this, in studying, for example, Krishna Leela, we are devotees of Krishna, so when was he born? When was, they're mocking and making a festival because he turned on his side. This is love of Krishna. The child turned on his side. He's leaning on his elbow. Call the whole town and we'll make a festival. Let the, give cows and chariots to the Brahmins. Hmm? Give ornaments and gold and cook and feed everybody, even the animals, everyone. Propitiate the gods, make a fire yagya, so forth. Because he rolled on his side. Hmm? At least we should know when his birthday is. <laughs> When this happened, when that happened, as recorded in Srimad Bhagavatam. And the wonderful thing is, if you become absorbed in knowing all those details of Krishna Leela that are recorded, unrecorded things will become known to you. You'll gather insights that aren't there in the book. Be able to speak them, put them, put these things together and have some spiritual logic. And this must have happened next. And certainly this was taking place. And then one day you'll find that Krishna Leela is happening in your own heart and details that no one else knows have become revealed to you because Leela is showing itself in a particular way. 
to you as it has the capacity to do and therefore sometimes the details are told differently by different charges who experience it differently is that uncommon is that so hard to understand we we think why somebody said it really like this happened like this and somebody else said it happened like that and we have some doubt but in our own practical experience this happens to us all the time your wife's experienced one thing and your the husband experienced it very different the very same event they're both absolutely sure this is what you said no i didn't say that <laughs> yes that is exactly what you said and this is what you said this is how you reacted subjective reality who can say what happened <laughs> how it, how you experienced it that's how it happened and everybody experiences it a little different so such is the nature of reality such is the nature of krishna ultimate reality like a beautiful blue sapphire so many facets to that jewel you turn it this way you see one thing this way another hmm? this way another unlimited so so many commentaries by so many charges so many means so many experiences in so many hearts of ultimate reality that, that has no no limit ever fresh and new every time the leela is performed differently and it's constantly being performed differently some basic structure is there everybody will agree on some things yes we all we had the festival we had the class outside i know that <laughs> we, I agree on but he said this I thought he said that get the tape and went oh was something different altogether was the third thing so we should try to absorb ourselves in these things we should try to get enough association that we become interested to pursue the details of Krishna Leela and the details of the philosophy that underlies it that will satisfy our logic and our reasoning to some extent that we have a sound philosophy okay may have some holes in it as all philosophies do because no philosophy can that seeks to explain the nature of reality is competent to do so completely because of the nature of reality it escapes uh, definition it ex escapes explanation it, it's not it cannot be limited by words or by thought so the upanishads say having gone there the mind returns having gone there words return foolishly some philosophers conclude on the basis of such statements of the upanishads therefore we should not think about it we should stop thinking and we should stop talking we cannot talk about the absolute if we are to talk we only can only talk about what it's not but the godia people they say no no it means this you cannot think enough about krishna you cannot say enough about reality therefore they're never short of words my body should just be quiet and they think too much stop thinking our goal in one sense is to, start, is to stop talking but our method is to only talk about krishna and i have one experience uh, related to you that's interesting in this regard that uh, we should keep in mind two of my gabbardas you might have heard this story before but two of my gabbardas once went many years ago to a fellow who was a yogi and he had uh, he was a silent yogi so he took a monbrata a vow of silence had a number of followers in California and he used to write messages on a chalkboard and like this but he would never speak so they went and they met him and they said to him that they said hello and he said hello <laughs> namaste 
and so forth. And they said, it's interesting that you don't talk, but our Guru Maharaj has said, they were very bold, our Guru Maharaj said, is, uh, better than not talking is to only talk about Krishna. That's our philosophy, right? Better than not talking is to only talk about Krishna. So they thought they were going to enlighten him. So you know what he wrote on the slate? He said, is that what you do? You only talk about Krishna? <laughs> he was very smart. They were embarrassed. I said, you should have told them. No, but that's what our guru does. So we came to tell you about him. <laughs> you come and see him. So we should walk our talk also. And be. we all have, to the extent that we do, then we can feel courage and strength to talk, to preach, and explain to others. From that kind of honesty, then we'll get some power. Personal integrity, we'll get some power by applying ourselves. And, but at any rate, yes, talking about Krishna and then thinking about Krishna. When power comes in the heart, it arrests the mind. And rather than causing it to stop thinking like in a yogic trance, it, it preserves the mind in all of its fluttering and so forth, that a movement that it can think in a variegated way about reality, which is the ultimate nature of reality, Krishna consciousness, the Leela is unfolding in so many ways and so forth and so on. So we should try try to get in good enough company on a regular basis that we become interested enough in the topic that we apply our intelligence to understanding details. Because we do that in whatever we're interested in. Just like Miko, you're interested in music, so you, you take the time to find out so many things. You have to exercise your intelligence and study and what, what somebody else has sung and how, what their song is based on and, and so you're, because you're interested in the topic. So, we should be honest and understand that my lack of interest in the details of Krishna consciousness really betrays a lack of interest in Krishna consciousness. It's not a bad thing. It's just where we're at. Then what is the solution then? Get good company and appreciate those who who have such interest to discuss such things, such things will be good for them and it will give them power and it's a way of their, that they're absorbing themselves in Krishna consciousness. Again, not that everybody has to be a, a scholar and so forth, learn a different language and so forth, but, oh, at least we should know something about the life of Krishna if we're his devotees. And we find it's very intricate and, and very interesting and very... Uh, Everything is put together. When I first read about Prabhupada's Krishna book, I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. I guess everybody has the same experience. Unbelievable how this is all so connected and everything, it's, it's a whole, this Leela is because of this, because of that, and Krishna's thinking this. and so, oh, Nobody could manufacture this, this kind of thing. This is a real person, like any real person's life, who could talk about God like this in such detail, the motive behind his action and how this had happened previously, and therefore this is happening now, and oh, it's fascinating to me. I can understand. Krishna is a real person. I want to meet him. This should be our reaction to such books. So Sanatana Goswami, he set such an example, how he studied Srimad Bhagavatam. You read the chapter, first this happened, then this happened, and this happened. He said, well, wait a minute. Here it says Krishna's three months. Here it says Krishna's one year. And the stories are following one another. Later on, it's talking about his getting his, he's getting his name, giving ceremony and so forth. That should be over here, he said. This is our Sanatana Goswami. Sukadeva Goswami was not as absorbed, this is the conclusion, as Sanatana Goswami. 
in the Krishna consciousness. That's a huge statement. More absorbed than Vyas. People may question the validity of Gaudiya Sampradaya. Are they really following the Vyas and the Shastra and so forth? You turn to these kind of insights. You only find this in our Sampradaya. He's kind of like editing Sugadev. Okay, you should have said this here. We understand you were in ecstasy, so you just talked about what came to you in your heart, but this happened here and this happened there. These are the kind of people we're, we're hearing about Krishna Leela from. With such attention they went through that book. Living in the pages of Bhagavatam. And such, and for those who have a little feeling for it, they find this is very valuable what he's shared with us. It speaks to us, oh, we are in good, good hands, in good company, to be under the jurisdiction of Rupa and Samatan. Anywhere in Hinduism, they will say, admit that Krishna is God, even outside of it. They say, yeah, he's one of the, you know, God for a way of talking about God, or at least something like that. Even the Pope suggests Krishna is good. When some Iskon person gave him a Bhagavad Gita, as <laughs> they're fond of doing. Yes, Krishna is good. <laughs> and here, these people, they, they know him on such intimate terms. Mm-hmm. So, after the Kinalina of Trinavarta, Oh, about uh, nine months later, or excuse me, Shakatasura, about nine months later, comes a tried again. And he sent Trinavarta. And Trinavarta thought, okay, I've seen the power of his lips. I've seen the power of his feet. He killed Putana with his lips. He killed Shakatasura with his feet, one foot. I have to find some, some other way to, to deal with him. One tried to come in disguise, other came in invisible. So he said that he he had an idea to come in a circular way, in a moving way, and he came as a tornado, you know, like this, coming round and round, like a whirlwind. He came into Vrindavan. Meanwhile, Krishna was a one year old plus, a little bit over one year now, and um, so he was still at home with his mother, but. He was so charming to all the inhabitants of Vrindavan, and um, he was appreciating all their affection and so forth. Meanwhile, the ladies in heaven were also aware of the fact that Krishna had taken birth on earth, and they were lamenting the fact that they did not get to have the close darshan of Krishna, and he could feel their appreciation. So he had developed a desire to fly in the sky, that he could satisfy their devotional desire to have a closer view of him. And Trinavarta came, of course, to facilitate that desire, unbeknownst to him. Nothing moves without the will of God, it said. So, Mother Yashoda was holding him, and suddenly he became heavy, very heavy, so heavy that she could not hold him up, and she had to place him down, and she thought, oh, what is happening? Something's wrong. My son has become so heavy, I cannot hold him. Somehow, not that Krishna's become heavier, but I've become weak, and I can't hold my son. So she went prayed to Narayan, her deity, give her strength, and uh, what could be happening to her. And suddenly then this windstorm began to come, and dust was raised, and stone and gravel falling everywhere, trees were falling. It was a tornado coming into Vrindavan. Not the kind of place where tornadoes usually come. Although they do have, what's that called? It's like the, the loo. You know what the loo is, Brigabad? It's a wind, so it's a wind in the summertime that comes in Vrindavan. It can suck out your life. It's very heavy. 
so like this, a big, uh, in Western terms, is like like a tornado came, dust storm. It's on the border of the Rajasthan desert, causing a huge commotion, and then caught up Krishna and took him up into the, into the sky, where Krishna was able to give his darshan to the heavenly ladies. Meanwhile, in the Braj, everyone was concerned, and when they were concerned about Krishna's well-being, naturally, they, and Yashoda's, they came to the house only to find, and to her amazement as well, that where she had placed him, he no longer was. Now, you can imagine this. Just like we now, in, regularly in the papers in the United States, there's something, practically every week, that some child has been, is missing, kidnapped by somebody, lost in the storm, uh, hiking or something, and, all, and then all, so many volunteers out looking for them and so forth. And oftentimes they find them, and they've been killed. It's a very common thing, actually, uh, unfortunately. So something like this. And the parents and the villagers, everyone was concerned, and looking everywhere for Krishna, going, big search party, where is Krishna? It's no, not, you can imagine, for a parent and those close relatives, nothing could be more overwhelming. This child is the center of their life, and suddenly child is missing. How Trinavarta facilitated their, their, they were already fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness. Now he just intensified it. The thought that he might not come back and they're ready to practically losing their lives. Mother Yashoda was so distraught that she could only be compared to a, a cow that, who, whose calf he had just taken away. Lead, lead cow of the herd, who's a little bossy herself, and asserts herself and you know, with their horns as they do, and they take her calf away and steal her, going mad. Mother Yasoda was like this, and people came and saw her, and, and it, 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 it cannot be described, the extent of her anxiety. Meanwhile, Krishna's touring in the sky, and this ugly fellow is, is carrying him, and Krishna thought, oh, this, this stranger has picked me up. It's like a little kid meets a stranger. And he's, this stranger has come along and picked me up. How nice of him. And look, he's taking me in the sky, just where I wanted to go. And as it went higher, then Krishna thought, I better put my arms around his neck and hang on to him. Because this is a bit of a wild ride. And suddenly, Krishna became heavy. He had become heavy. And Mother Yashoda put him down, and then he became light, and then he became heavy again. The whole universe is inside of him, so he became heavy as the universe. But he was hanging on around his Trinavarta's neck, so Trinavarta could not get loose from him. So crushing down, he came on the ground, and Trinavarta was was slain through no fault of Krishna's. He just held on to him. That's all. What could be expected? And then everyone found him, of course, and they were happy and auspicious bathing ceremonies and the plying of tilak and <laughs> mantras and all. <laughs> so it is another ritual, another reason for, for a festive occasion in this way. <laughs> it's an uh, everyday festival in Vrindavan. I remember once with Prabhupada, we, we organized a spontaneous festival in Los Angeles in one park. Just went out and had a festival, chanting all day, distributing prasadam and so forth. One of my godbrothers, who was sannyasi at the time, 
before I had taken sannyasa, said to Prabhupada with big eyes, Prabhupada, he said, Prabhupada, that was wonderful. Today was wonderful festival. And Prabhupada looked at him with bigger eyes. He said, every day is a festival. <laughs> every day in Krishna consciousness is a festival. <laughs> so that's such as, uh, is the, is, is the Brajalila actually. Hmm? So Trinavarta. Following Shakatasura. Shakatasura is a heavy burden that, uh, of, uh, social bias and, um, attachment to the cultural filter through which Krishna consciousness may, may inevitably appears at different times and circumstances and so forth. Identifying externals with the externals rather than with the essence. And as I said, if we start then to move away from that, then we have to exercise our intelligence. As to what's the meaning behind this? Why this is being said? What's the what was the context in which which this rule was uh, invoked? Was it was it in any way relative to the circumstance and therefore not applicable in all times, or is it something that's essential for all times? This kind of thinking. You know the story of the cat and the Bhagavad Gita. It's a nice one. one my God, I heard it from the Shringarj. I don't know where he got it, but he said. There used to be a fellow, he would recite Bhagavad Gita every day. And uh, he had a, a cat. Cat, well, lived in the vicinity. And so the cat would came one morning, he was reciting the Gita, and the cat started to meow, make a noise. So he said, he said, tie the cat up there and give him some milk. So the cat was tied and got milk. And so the cat got used to that. Every day when the Bhagavad Gita would, recital would come, he would come and cry. And so the guru would say, tie her up to the tree and, and give her some milk. So this went on for a long time, and, and then the guru passed away, and the next guru took the seat, and the cat was still living, so the cat was still coming and tied up, and another generation of disciples came, and then that guru passed away, and another guru came, and the cat died. And the second guru said, we need a cat now. We can't recite the Bhagavad Gita unless we tie a cat up and give it milk. That's part of the, this is part of the, the whole essential ritual of speaking the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> so this we have to be cautious of. And therefore we have to use our intelligence. But there's a danger then also, isn't there? In using our intelligence, that as I said, using an English adage, we, we have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. This Trinavata is, Bhaktivinathakura is compared to really intellectual exercise in and of itself. Logic is inconclusive. What does Vedanta Sutra say? Tarko Pratishtaha. Right? Simply by exercising logic and reasoning you can arrive at conclusive truth. No. It's descending. We should apply our intelligence to that which is descending to understand it. But we have to be careful in using our intelligence to think about these kind of things, these leelas and so forth, and, 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 and be careful not to think, well, Actually, the whole Leela is just a story, just to make a point, and we'll just adopt the universal truth, and the Leela's, this is how the Mayavadis think, isn't it? Trinavarta is like a Mayavadi, this is the idea. This kind of, this kind of logic. The exercise of logic to the point that the essence is actually disappears altogether. In the logic of Mayavad, and they pride themselves as being Ghanis. We're just bhaktas, emotional people, and they pride themselves as being the thinkers. And they've thought so well, so so much, that they've thought Krishna out of the picture. 
Krishna Lila has become only a only a, a symbol and not an ontological reality, not something that you can ultimately li- live within. It's so nice and so charming. Even some of them say, even Shankar himself said like that. But then their teaching is that you have to give it up also. So we have to be careful that we don't, you know, are using our intelligence to understand the tradition in its essence. There will be a tendency like this to think, well, how could, as I said, how could they, you know, kick a cart with one's foot and the whole cart, is, and it's just a baby, it's going to fly, and, and the Putin's got like 12 miles long and, and so forth. And so we should think these, these things away and get to the essence. And suddenly there's no magic in Krishna Leela anymore. No. We have to understand there's something called Surup Shakti, there's something called Yoga Maya. Hmm? There's Mahamaya, that we know. She's a magician. The material world is full of magical events. We just become accustomed to them, therefore we think they're normal. Like, if you take a seed this big and you tell a child, you see this tiny little seed? And you, know, you see this big, you know, jackfruit? Something like that. Big jackfruit comes from a tree like this. Inside, I'll show you a trick. Inside this seed, hold it, look at it. There's only a seed, right? Everyone see? Just the seed? Hmm? Okay. And there's a tree inside the seed. How could it fit? And so many big jackfruits. And so many seeds. This is magic. We're accustomed to see it, we can talk about it, we can understand something of the dynamics of it, but the whole affair of existence is magical. You just become accustomed to certain things, to, so that we don't think of them in that way. And even Krishna consciousness tells us to look more closely at material nature and see the magic in it and understand. There's magic in Maya. What is, here's the magic of Maya. Everyone is dying! <laughs> and everyone lives as if it's not the case. That is Maya. That is magic. So this is only the this is only the reflection of reality. What is the magic then of Krishna Lila? What possibilities there are there? That's the way we have to think. It's not that Sanatana Goswami, Rupa Goswami, Sugadev Goswami didn't think about these things. They did. In one place Jiva Goswami says, In case you're wondering how it is that Krishna with his little foot could kick this big cart and send it up in the air and so forth, how it's possible. Stop thinking like that. We already explained it when Krishna sucked the life air out of Putana. This is Yoga Maya. Such a potency exists. It's not that they were backward people that, that they thought that they thought about these things, these myths, and they just believed these myths and so forth. And, and, um, and so now we're more grown up and we know these were just stories that ancient people used to think of it like that. So they thought about all these things. They thought, now that isn't, in their time that didn't seem very possible either. It's not that it was a common thing that, that they had experience of that little children were sucking the life air out of demises who turned into, you know, 12 mile long bodies and then you chopped up and burned and it smelled like frankincense. This is a really wild story. They thought about that. It crossed their mind too. Hmm, people may think this is not possible. I can see why they might think like that. They don't know what is the Surup Shakti. They don't know what is Yoga Maya. What is the internal potency of Godhead? Therefore, they live in a very boring existence, actually. Even the magic of the material nature they want to take out of it by examining it and writing it down and, and 
capturing it. This is maya. Maya means to want to capture the whole thing in the fist of your intelligence, to measure it. Maya means to measure. The ultimate reality, infinity, cannot be measured. We want to measure it and thereby assert ourselves over reality. This is, this is called maya. So we should think about these things, but not in such a way that we think ourselves out of, out of Krishna Leela. This is what the Mayavadis have done. They studied the scripture very carefully. They thought they want a rational kind of spirituality. So do we, in our rational type of spirituality, mandates that reason has its limitations. And love knows no reason whatsoever. Ultimate reality is, about, is really about love. The highest knowledge is love. And in love, all things are possible. As we many times said, in love, one's, the object of one's love, that person's faults become ornaments, right? Someone we love, they have faults. Those are only seen by people who don't love them. When we see them, not only we see the things that others call faults, but we think them to be ornaments. So love has this power. And the Goswamis have taught, Suman Bhagavatam has taught, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has taught, ultimate reality is love, Vidyavadu Jivanam. This is the highest knowledge. The Swarup Shakti, this is, this, this is the highest knowledge. And in that, under that influence, all things are possible. So Trinavarta, he's kind of the other, other side. Uh, these two kind of go together. Shakata Sur, don't carry a heavy burden, be an essence seeker. So I started to become an essence seeker, but being an essence seeker, you have to be careful, as I say, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and end up with nothing. Be cautious. Pray to Krishna. Just like you killed Shakata Sur, free me from this non-essential things that have come to burden my progress in spiritual life, that have all types of spiritual trappings to them. And at the same time, as you killed, took the wind out of Trinavarta, so take the wind out of this idea that uh, just by exercising my intelligence I can arrive at conclusive truth. Actually, logic is circular. I should hear from sadhus. This way I can get conclusive knowledge. This way I can get love for Krishna. Any question? Yes. I'm not sure if I understood correctly, but earlier when, when you were talking about Kamsha, I thought that he represented like intelligence getting in the way of feeling. Uh, or mm -hmm. We talked about Kamsa being uh, oppressive, yes, like, um, like uh, intelligence can be. We talked about it in terms of having like a, the uh, academic understanding of Krishna consciousness. So you can also, there's some overlapping in all these things. But I was wondering what the difference the difference that, that given by Bhakti Siddhanta in his vision and by Bhakti Vinod is more a difference between academic life that would, for example, study the scriptures, like a uh, Indologist, for example, who studies the, the, the tradition in that way and he finds no life in it whatsoever. Um, in some ways he compared Kamsa to that. And Trinavarta would be more like, like a Mayavadi or a Buddhist who has a spiritual idea, like a Mayavadi, for example, take the same Bhagavatam, and Krishna disappears, but somehow he's still talking about having a spiritual life. 
whereas in academia, there's Indologists' approach, there's no spiritual life there. You follow? So it's more like um, one is to save you from becoming super objective. This is the academic way. We're so objective that we never get subject ourselves to anything because the idea is that subjecting ourselves to it, we will not know it for what it is. And so you really end up knowing nothing, <laughs> really. They have interest in Hinduism, and then you think, wow, this guy's really interested in, in our tradition. And then you turn around, and he's giving a class on something else. He's as interested in that. And so too objective, you cannot get involved in anything. And if you cannot give yourself to any particular tradition, what will you get out of it? You will only like, lick the jar and never taste the honey inside. And the other thing with Trinavarta is more like, you're on the spiritual path, you're in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and this comes to attack you. You've got some simple faith in Krishna consciousness, and you like Krishna Leela and so forth, and then you start reading really carefully the books and studying them, and you start thinking, well, wait a minute, could this really be true? I mean, this is where twelve miles long, and, you know, and then there's this apparent attractive Mayabha tradition that says, actually, these things are just stories to give you a lesson and you take the lesson from it and merge in Brahman. And we don't believe in all those myths like you do in, in a literal kind of way. Isn't that kind of fundamentalist and literal and kind of, you know, childish and, and so forth? In this way, they're also baby killers of sorts, like Trinavarta, kidnapping children, the child of Krishna consciousness coming and kidnapping that away. So that's the difference. Of course... Never mind the fact that, well, if we look at Mayabad philosophy, we find the whole thing's a sham. This point may, may sound appealing to our intellect to some extent. Oh, it's just a story. But then look at everything else. It tells you that you are God. It tells you there's, there's, there's no other. It tells you that the world, you want to talk about something illogical, the world does not exist. Okay. We're supposed to believe that. The world does not exist. This is my blood philosophy. There's only Brahman. Then how's there a world? There's not. There is no world. Now how can there be only Brahman and no world that I'm experiencing the world? It's mitya. It's false. Then they start really juggling words and, well, it becomes a superimposition upon the absolute and... and, and, and it's a huge gaping hole in the whole logic of Advaita Vedanta. And the way they cover it up is by talking fast and, and, and with a lot of words <laughs> and making it sound like, wow, that sounds like must know something. He's certainly quoting a lot of things. And I remember sitting with Prabhupada once. He was giving a class in Los Angeles and he was, he was reading from the tw- 12th canon of Bhagavatam, which he hadn't translated yet about the symptoms of Kali Yuga. It's the funniest thing. And he said, one of the symptoms of Kali Yuga here is mentioned that people will speak in such a way, they will say something that doesn't really mean anything. But it sounds like it means something. And so people will all be attracted. And then he spoke a whole sentence that didn't mean anything. I don't know if everybody caught it, but I started laughing. He, he said, and so, you know, he just jumbled some words together and, and spoke, and it sounded like, well, you know, it's just not really profound then. But So... This is basically what uh, Mayavad philosophy does uh, in, in an effort to cover up the gaping hole in their, in their system. 
of thought. So there may be some attractive feature that appeals to our intellect in some ways. But if we look at the whole thing, it becomes a, it's a, it's a, it's a logical farce. And then, for that matter, what appeared to be logical, and say, yeah, it's just a story. These things, obviously, these things don't really happen, right? You can't get witches flying in the sky. I mean, these are just stories. It's obvious, right? That reply to that, of course, is, is, is sounds, well, no, it's not logical to think, but simply because within your realm of experience, your frame, frame of reference, something is not uh, possible, therefore it's not possible. That is really a folly. One fellow, actually a disciple of Prabhupada, read the Krishna book, and maybe before he got initiated, and he, Prabhupada, he said, Prabhupada, I read your Krishna book, and Prabhupada said, what did you think? He said, well, to be honest with you, I thought it was a bit fantastic. And Prabhupada said, I think you are fantastic. A bit fantastic, implying that to think that the things that are mentioned there, because you don't have experience of them and you can't do them, therefore God can't be doing them. 